It's Saturday, April 23rd, coming to you from the 603, where as Bono would say, it's a beautiful day. Welcome to another episode of Through Thick and Thin. Today's guest is Sharon Meltzer from Tennessee. She has an amazing story to tell about her spinal cord injury survival. So fasten those seatbelts, charge up those wheelchairs, and let's go. Good evening, Joe. My name is Sharon Meltzer, and I live in Maryville, Tennessee, which is right south of Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I'm almost 69 years old, and uh, I got my spinal cord injury five years ago from a fall, and I am a C5 through 7 fused incomplete. Well, Sharon, welcome to the podcast Through Thick and Thin. We're so delighted you could join us this evening to talk about your injury, your recovery, and how it has impacted your life. Welcome. Thank you, Joe. You mentioned you had an accident five years ago. You had a fall. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what life was like before the accident, Sharon. Sort of a, a day in the life or just a snapshot of of um, of who you are? Well, I was very active. I played golf. I went to the gym and worked out three or four times a week. I didn't really do any hiking or anything like that after we, we, we moved to Tennessee. But before we moved to Tennessee 10 years ago, I, of course, worked full time and raised two children. My husband was a police officer, so I was always very busy. And after we moved to Tennessee 10 years ago, like I said, um, we retired. So things were a little bit slower. I was able to pursue golf and, and working out a little bit more religiously. And I was in fairly decent shape when I had my accident. And how old were your children at the time of the accident? Uh, my children were late 20s, 27, 28. So all grown up, and where were they living at the time? They're grown, yes. My son is still in Chicago, and he is married. And my daughter is in Salt Lake City, and she's also married. And any grandchildren? No grandchildren, not yet. Not yet. Still plenty of time <laughs> for that, right? Hoping, yes. And tell me about what happened. You said you had a fall. What happened to you, Sharon? Uh, yes, I, I woke up one morning about 8 o'clock in the morning and did not feel well. had um, nausea and just felt really icky and went to the bathroom and threw up a little bit and decided I was going to go into my sewing room where I had a day bed and I was going to lay down with my upchuck bucket. And unfortunately, on my way in there, I passed out and... In doing so, I fell and hit my head on the edge of the day bed and broke my neck. And I'm not quite sure how long I laid there, but my husband is home. He's retired. So I, at some point, managed to yell out to him across the house, and he came and called the ambulance, and they took me to the hospital. That's just awful. And did you know right away that the extent of your injuries... I did not know right away. I actually thought maybe I had had a stroke, but 
Um, evidently, my head was in a very weird position um, up against this bed frame, and instantly my hands went tingly and numb, and I really couldn't feel my feet, my legs. Not the type of feeling you want to have at any point in your life. That's true. And how far is the nearest hospital that you were brought to? Well, I went to the hospital in my town called Blunt Memorial. And in hindsight, I should have had the ambulance take me up to University of Tennessee, which is called UT, because that's subsequently where I ended up at and where I had my surgery at. And that is probably 30 miles. So first you made a stop at the nearest hospital. That's more or less what ambulance drivers do unless there's a, an, an apparent need where they need to take somebody to a different specialized hospital. And how long were you at your local hospital for and, and what was the prognosis at that time? Um, you know, quite honestly, I'm not really sure. I was probably there for four or five hours and then I was transferred to the University of Tennessee Hospital, late afternoon, I would think. And were you conscious the entire time? Pretty much, yes, pretty much. I remember the ambulance driver, um, the initial ambulance driver coming in and saying, are you still here? I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I, I really didn't know, you know too much, but I think I was conscious. And when you were brought to the hospital at, at UT, were you still experiencing a numbness in your hands and, your, and in your feet? Yes. And so you're brought up to the other hospital, and what happened after that? Um, I was in a critical care unit. I do remember that, and of course, doctors in and out, and um, the accident happened on a Thursday, and um, I was injected with steroids and all different kinds of medicine. I really don't know what. But um, on Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, they decided they were going to do the fusion. They had initially thought that they would wait until Monday or Tuesday. But they um, did it on a Saturday afternoon, and here I am. On a Saturday afternoon, and... What were the doctors telling you and your husband at the time? They really, I don't remember what they all said. My, at that time, my twin sister had arrived from out of town and my daughter had arrived from um, Salt Lake City. And um, I'm not really sure what they told them. Now, the one thing I do remember, um, which was, I guess, a pretty good sign, was I kept pushing the end of the bed with my feet. So they knew that my feet would work, but my uh, left shoulder was excruciatingly painful. And I thought that I had had a torn rotator cuff in the fall or something. And I was very worried about that. You know, how was I going to do rehab on this shoulder if I, you know, couldn't walk very well? And were you in, in pain in other places other than your shoulder? I don't remember being in a lot of pain other than the shoulder. I don't know what kind of medicine they gave me. I'm sure they gave me quite a cocktail of different medicine, and so I don't really remember what um, they all did for me. But I do remember pushing at the end of the bed, and they kept saying that was a good sign. 
That's a that's a really promising sign early on. And you had your surgery. And what happened when you came out of surgery? What were the doctors saying then? The doctors really didn't say a whole lot um, because I, like I said, I went in on a Saturday afternoon really late. And the next thing I remember thinking was Sunday. And I thought, oh, my shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. And of course, I was in the um, lovely collar that we all have experienced. And so I couldn't really move my you know, head too much. But I was still moving my feet. And I, I was always moving my hands and arms. But they were just tingly and numb. Um, and then they moved me from this critical care unit into, I would think it was just ICU. And I was released to a rehab facility on Wednesday of that week. So I was only in UT about six days. And where was the rehab facility? Were they located closer to home or in Knoxville? Uh, no, it was in Knoxville. It was at Patricia Neal Rehab up at Fort Sanders. And how long were you there for? I was there for three weeks. And what was that three weeks like? I would say it was probably the longest three weeks of my life. Um, they're trying to get you to do things. They're trying, you're, you're very confused. At least I was very confused. And it was noisy. as a stroke rehab facility as well. And there was helicopters coming day and night, all seven days a week. So it was, it was very noisy. It's an older hospital. The care was very, very good. Of course, this was pre-COVID, so they, you know, it was wonderful. But um, it was just, I won't say chaotic, but just, it was frightening, you know, like everybody else would probably describe it. You don't know what's going to happen. You, at this point, I was not walking. I was in a power wheelchair, which I was not very good at steering this power wheelchair through all these little narrow mazes. And they put me in a regular wheelchair and I did a little bit better with that. But um, I didn't get probably as much physical therapy as other people have described at places like Shepherd. I had a lot of, um, they called it speech, where they just wanted to test my mind and, you know, to see if I had a TBI, which I didn't. But I think I had three hours of therapy, some sort of therapy a day. And quite a bit of that was physical therapy, though, trying to get your legs to to move and, and your feet to work again? Well, not really. I didn't walk when I was there. I was always in a wheelchair. Um, they wanted you to build your strength. I did a lot of the, um, like the weight things where you did the pulley things and um, recreational type therapy. Um, they wanted me, before I was released, they wanted me to do a floor to bench transfer, which was very, very difficult. Um, just a lot of hand-eye coordination type stuff, which was not that difficult for me, but I just needed to get my strength back. I, in those 
four weeks, the one week in the hospital and the three weeks in rehab, I lost 15 pounds. So I was pretty weak. And what was the most challenging aspect of that, that four week time frame in your life? I think being in the first hospital, the trauma hospital, was very, very challenging because I had no idea what to expect next. And when I went to the rehab hospital, I at least could see people. I wasn't blocked off from, you know, I had interactions with other people, so it wasn't quite so bad. But I mean, the fear of the unknown, as I'm sure other people have described, is terrifying. It is, and with the doctors, sometimes giving you that blank stare when you ask questions that can be unnerving as well. And Absolutely. When did you actually find out really what was going on and what the future might hold for you? I really found out more from when I went to outpatient therapy and what I was capable of because when I went to outpatient therapy when I got home it was still quite a haul up there. I didn't go back up to Knoxville. I went down here in Maryville, but it was still quite a ways from my house. It took a half an hour to get there. And I did that three times a week for months, just months and months. And the therapist there was really good with brain injuries and spinal cord injuries, things like that. And they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. By this time, I was getting stronger so it got a little bit easier. And at one point, she said, um, I think you would do really well in the water. And they had a, a very nice pool there. So they got me into the pool, and that's when I really started making progress. That's great. So you finally got on your feet, and being in the water, obviously you're a lot more buoyant, so it takes the weight off your feet. How long were you spending in the water each day? Um, well, when I went, it was three times a week, so I was spending, I usually would do like two days in the water and one day land, is what they called it. So I would do different things on land and just, you know, steps. And by this time, I was actually getting a little bit of my mobility back, and I walked with a walker. So I was, you know, she'd make me do steps and parallel bars and balancing things on the um, both of all, things like that, just to kind of get my coordination back, which really I haven't gotten my balance back to this day, but they try to prepare you. And then the other two days a week, I would go in the water, and that was just, you know, walking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and try to get up out of the water. They had a chair, one of those, um, I don't know what they call them, chairs, that they would put me in to go in, but then I'd have to climb back out on the ladder, which was difficult. That's part of the challenge though, right? Oh yeah. And you were finally taking steps in the pool. When did you start taking Sister. steps on, uh, on land? Um, well, I, wa I would walk into therapy with my walker and probably Three months after my accident, I started to um, drive. And I drive a regular car. I don't drive, uh, it's not adaptable, adaptive. 
on my regu regular car. I, I always joke that I drive better than I walk. You would never notice, know that I was paralyzed if you saw me behind the wheel because I drive really well, but I wobble when I get out. And I never walk unassisted. I always have either my walker or my cane because I'm really a fall risk. And what was the most challenging part of your outpatient therapy? I think the exhaustion. Every day I, would, I just came home and I was just exhausted. They just push you and push you and push you. And until, you know, probably for a year, I was just, just very tired. And were you doing therapy at home on your own? I, I did a little therapy at home, yes. And what was the prognosis then? You mentioned that you are still paralyzed. Do you still have problems with feeling or sensation in parts of your body? And are there things that do not work to this day? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's very difficult. My at the end of the day, my ankles are really really stiff, which makes walking really really difficult. And the hands still um, are bothersome. I think just a lot of the same spinal cord injury issues that people with more severe injuries than mine have. Um, we're all in the same boat. We all have just other issues. Um, your core temperature isn't right. Your bowels and bladder aren't right. Um, things that we would have taken for granted before our accident, you don't know what you're faced with when um, you have a spinal cord injury because it's just so different. And on the medical side, who is helping you navigate these waters? Well, uh, the doctor that I had up at Patricia Neal left um, about a year into my recovery. And I really did not have a doctor. I was just hanging out there with just my regular um, physician, my primary care physician. And he was very good about listening to me. but. He really couldn't help me with the pain that I have. I mean, we all have pain, but this is pain. I mean, you know, this is unrelenting pain every day. And he really wasn't familiar with that. And I really was just, I really had nowhere to go. We're not in a big area that has a lot of um, really specialized doctors for spinal cord injuries. And finally, just about Two months ago, I started with another physiatrist um, up here that was familiar with the practice that I came from um, up at Patricia Neal. So I'm hoping for some resolution of some of these issues um, in the future, but I, I really don't know, you know how far that's going to take me. So you're in pain. Do you also get spasms and have nerve, neuropathic pain? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, of course. Is anything helping for either of those? No. No. Yeah, it can be very frustrating. It's, it's one thing when we have an accident in our body, you know, is broken in some sense, but also the other toll that it takes on us with, you know, pain that comes and goes and it gets better and worse and hurts in different places and you can never pinpoint what's going on. 
Yes, that's exactly right. And I think it's very difficult for doctors. I think especially here in Tennessee, this probably sounds a little strange, but we have a really big opioid problem down here. And I think that a lot of people are begging for drugs. And I'm not begging for drugs. I need them. You know, I have pain. It's real. I can't really describe it to you because it's obscenely painful. It's not like my knee hurts or my hip hurts. It's everything hurts. And doctors don't really understand that down here because they see so much of the people who are looking for drugs. Right. There's such an epi epidemic on our hands and it's nationwide and doctors are really cautious to give somebody the wrong prescription these days and they try other things first. And for us, most of those things just don't even touch the nerve pain or the even some of the spasms that we have. It's it can be awful. That's exactly correct. So who were you going through this struggle with? You mentioned that you're married. Uh, your mm -hmm. husband, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he was probably there by your side most of the time, if not all the time. He was. He's wonderful, but he's also sees what I'm capable of, so he expects me to do more than probably I should be doing. That's understandable. Our significant others know what we can do and they know how far to how far to encourage us. <laughs> Lisa, that's how it is around here. Okay, then you know. <laughs> I do. I do. And and how is the accident in your recovery? How has that been on some of your relationships, either with family or friends? I don't think it's really so much changed the friendships. Uh I do now, one of the things that I, one of my recreational things that I do um, twice a week is I go to a warm water pool at the gym that I've belonged to for almost 10 years. They had a wonderful warm water pool and I've gotten into that for probably the last four years. And I do a class, like a water Tai Chi class every Wednesday and Friday. And I've made some wonderful friends and Generally on Fridays, we go out to lunch after our class, and those people have been very reliable and wonderful in helping me. One of the women that I do the pool class with, her and her husband have become good friends with my husband, Kurt, and I, and we go out to dinner frequently, and they, they know my limitations. They know I, you know, which restaurants I can get into and which restaurant has steps when I get inside and things like that. So well, they're pretty, pretty understanding about that and pretty helpful to me. Um, and my relationship with my husband really hasn't changed and other friends just, everybody's just kind of rolled with the punches because I'm an optimistic person and we just roll with the punches together. And how do you stay so positive, Sharon? I don't know sometimes, Joe, I must tell you, I really don't. Um, I just, I've always been positive and I think that maybe it's being a police wife, I just had to be positive and strong for the family because my husband was gone all the time and working the weird hours and I was the one who was basically raising the kids and 
you know, doing a lot of that stuff on my own and I had to be positive and keep moving forward. That's such a great outlook on things. And when you have this type of a accident, it really strains your the way that you look at yourself, the way that you look at the world. And it's really great to hear that you've been able to keep your chin up and stay positive and very inspiring to others who are going through the same struggle that maybe aren't so positive in life. What advice do you have to others that have had a similar injury and maybe they're not seeing the world the way that you see it? I would say um, get some help with counseling. I haven't really done too much counseling, but I do see a psychiatrist and I'm on some medication and that I think helps improve um, my attitude on things and get out and do as much as you possibly can. I'm in a support group through Patricia Neal and we meet, I would say about every other month. And those people have been, you know, good sounding boards for things. We, we go to different places. They have um, Smokies baseball game every year that they go to and picnics and once a year we'll go to a restaurant and other months we just meet at the hospital in a room for maybe when one month we'll do painting and one month we'll do bingo or just you know they cater in food and just sit around and chat stuff like that a support group is wonderful and i've made some really good friends through that group and is the support group only open to those who have suffered a spinal cord injury? It basically is, yes. They, they also have one there for stroke people, but they really don't mix them. And, and spouses come. Some of the spouses come. My husband prefers not to go. I'll either go by myself or he'll drop me off. Well, it sounds like you've made a bunch of new friends through this support group. I have, and they're wonderful people. Good for you. And I know that's one thing that people need to do more often is get out, meet new people, go new places, experience new things. Unfortunately, I've seen too many people who have had a spinal cord injury go the opposite route. They really just crawl into their own shell and they don't want to come out. And as you know, it's very important that we continue to do the things that we did before our accident. Yes, that's true. Or at least what we're capable of doing, right? Yes. And so how are you feeling today at several, you know, several years later, your accident was five years ago. Mm -hmm. What what's your body feel like today? You're still in pain. I think I'll always be in pain. Yes, I think that's just the reality of this type of injury. Um, medication doesn't really, um, at least the stuff I am on doesn't really touch it. I'm on baclofen, which I think is pretty standard, and gabapentin, and um, an antidepressant, and a sleeping pill. I could never get to sleep if I didn't have my sleeping pills. Not much other than that, um, but it, the pain is just always there, and I think when you're busy during the day, be it walking around the house or, you know, whatever you don't pay as much attention to it but when you get in bed at night that's when it hits you and the spasms mostly i have spasms at night and it's it 
it's really hard to sleep. My hands hurt. I wear heated ski gloves to bed at night because they soothe my hands. Ooh, I didn't even helps. know they had those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm. I love my heated ski gloves. <laughs> Sounds like something that we should have here in New Hampshire, regardless of if we had a spinal cord injury or not. Yes. Well, actually, um, back in February, I went out to see my daughter in Salt Lake City, and she took me adaptive skiing, and my ski gloves went skiing for the first time. So <laughs> they oh, came in handy. How much fun. What was? Tell me about the adaptive skiing. Well, it was at the National Ability Center, and that was at um, Park City, Utah, where they have a lot of um, athletes, the Olympians. Actually, the Olympics were on TV when I was out there, and a lot of, there was a lot of... Um, watch parties in Park City because many of the Olympic athletes are from Park City. But she set me up with an adaptive ski lesson and um, you get in this bucket type of thing with a ski on the bottom of it. And then they'd had these two outriggers and the guy that did it was, had a recreation degree in, in adaptive skiing or something. And so he hung on to the, it was this rail like at the back with this sled. And it was all, he was all also strapped to the back of this sled. And he would say, go left, go right, go left, go right. And I, and you kind of get into a rhythm with it. And then they took me up the chairlift probably five or six times, which I was terrified of, but they're not gonna let you fall. And it was a lot of fun. That sounds like an amazing day. It was. And have you only been adaptive skiing once? Yes, I have. Need to find a place somewhere close to home where you can do that. We don't have much snow around here, Joe. <laughs> well, I mean, relatively close to home within a eight hour drive. Yeah, that's pretty far for me in a car. Um, what they do have through Patricia Neal is every year they have um, various adaptive water sports. And I've never really uh, been able to do that due to the date that it happens. But um, one gentleman has a place on the lake and he's got adaptive kayaks and adaptive water skis and all kinds of things like that. And I would love to try that some summer day when I'm free to do it because they do do a lot of that stuff um, with uh, Patricia Neal. There are several people that are in my group that do biking, adaptive biking, and uh, there are several different, they do like marathon bikes and stuff like that. So it's they're pretty, pretty adept at stuff like that around here. But that's not really in my wheelhouse. I'm more into walking. I walk on my treadmill every day and I have a rowing machine in my workout room. I row on that every day. So it's kind of what I do. Great. So you're staying active. No more uh, need for any type of physical therapy? No. I've had physical therapy in the past. Um, since my accident, I have had a hip replacement and a knee replacement. And I go back to the same um, facility that I did my outpatient therapy at. And they know me and they know what I'm capable of. So I have done 
you know, more therapy in connection with those surgeries. And they kind of throw in a little extra balance and spinal cord stuff, but mostly it's just getting back on my feet, basically. And did they ever find out why you were nauseous and dizzy that morning that you had your, your uh, fall? Well, actually there was a norovirus going around and the schools were closed. Of course, I didn't know this because my kids are long gone from school, but the schools were closed because this uh, norovirus was going around. And evidently that's what I picked up and that's what caused me to pass out and hit my head and break my neck. Oh, that's awful. But the good news, Sharon, is you're here with us today. That's true, very true. And what lies in store for you? What are some of your goals? I would hope that I could um, get just a little bit more stable on my feet. As I've aged, I've slowed down. I'm not um, as steady on my feet as I was at the beginning. Not that I was ever real steady, but the new doctor, um, the new physiatrist sent me to a orthopedic place um, just last week to um, get a foot brace for my drop foot because I drag my right foot and she's having a, a brace made for my foot. I've had a couple of braces and they really haven't been very effective. And um, so that's coming in the um, next few days, most likely. And uh, I'm looking forward to the nice weather Poor weather, cold weather, um, rainy weather is certainly not a friend of mine. I also suffer from migraines. So when I have a migraine, everything hurts. And I think that's kind of typical for our, our group of folks. The barometric pressure really bothers us a lot. And I'm hoping that um, I've traveled quite a bit. I've traveled by myself. And I'm hoping to get back out to Arizona to see my sister and Salt Lake City to see my daughter uh, again next winter. Hopefully I'll adaptive ski again. And we drive up to see our son in Chicago. And I have a friend that lives up by Green Bay and I usually go up in the summer to see her. And again, I travel by myself. I get wheelchairs every step of the way and I know the airports and just wanna keep doing that. Good for you. Sounds like you live a very active life. I try to. That's great. And Sharon, what advice do you have for either an individual who suffers a spinal cord injury or their family that is right alongside with them? What's your advice to them if it were to just happen? I would say get to the best rehab hospital you can possibly get to. Stay positive, always stay positive. There's always hope. Don't let doctors tell you, no, you're not going to, or no, you can't do that. Because if you know that you can do it, you can do it. If you feel like you can do it, you can do it. Always be looking for um, different doctors to help you with different things. Never give up the fight. Just no excuses. Just keep on moving forward make connections, make friends, go to support groups. Things are out there for you. Well, that's really wonderful advice. And I think for an individual or 
family members that are hearing this. I think it's going to be inspirational for them to try to better their lives and better themselves or others around them. And we're very appreciative of you for coming on the podcast here today. And we're wishing you all the best of luck. We hope that you get some warm weather sooner rather than later in Tennessee. Let's hope so. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you, Sharon. There it is, another episode of Through Thick and Thin in the Cloud. Thank you for joining us today, and special thanks to Sharon for being our guest and sharing her story. If you would like to be a future guest on the show, please connect with me. Would love to hear your story and share it with the community. Until then, have a great day.